0: Good morning. The passage Duncan will be preaching from today is from Judges chapter 2 verses 6 to chapter 3 verse 6 and can be found on page 239. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to his own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance, at Timnath Hares, in the hill of the country Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. After that, whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served Baal's. They forsook the Lord and the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them over to the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Then the Lord raised judges up, who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors, who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies, as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to the ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshipping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and said, Because of this nation has violated the covenant I ordained from their ancestors and has not listened to me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their ancestors did. The Lord allowed those nations to remain. He did not drive them out at once by giving them into the hands of Joshua. These are the nations the Lord left to test all the Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not had previous battle experience. The five rulers of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, Sidonians, and the Hivites living in the Lebanon mountains, from the Mount Baal Hermon to Lebo Hamath. They were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands, which he had given their ancestors through Moses. The Israelites lived among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jezebites. They took their daughters in marriage and gave their own daughters to their sons and served their gods.
1: Our gracious God, we pray that you will take your word now. Uh, plant it in our hearts and cause it to bear fruit in our own lives for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, many of us in this room will, I'm assuming, know what this is. Some of us more familiar with it than others. Uh, but I'm guessing if we ask the kids, we'll get a few blank stares. Is that right? <laughs> now, I'm a bit loud, I think. Can I just go down a bit? Yeah, uh, <laughs> some of the younger ones among us may not really know what this is. If you grew up in the '70s and '80s, there's a good chance that this was a significant part of your childhood. Maybe, though, maybe for you, vinyl is more your thing. Have we got, uh, yeah, it's a, maybe maybe that's your, more your thing. Uh, and it's making a bit of a comeback recently. I don't know if you know vinyl, but unless you're a hipster, you probably don't have a working record. Player. Or maybe you had one of these. Let's, uh, oh, hopefully, this uh, clicker is working. Maybe, had, whoa, let's go back. Yeah, may, maybe you had one of these. You recognize this? The old reel to reel? Maybe that's more, you know, your kind of thing, the reel to reel player. Well, it's a bit trivial, but uh, it's, a, it's a bit of an example, isn't it? It shows just how easily that something that is so exciting and meaningful to one generation. Can be totally you know, forgotten by the next one, especially in our time when the pace of change is just getting quicker and quicker, you know kids i 'm afraid to say, but today 's frozen is going to be tomorrow 's old news. you know there will come a day not too long from now when you 'll be belting out a rousing chorus of "Let it go," and you 'll just have these blank stares from everyone around you, okay? they won 't know what you're talking about uh, is a great well. That's, if you don't know what Frozen is, then you need to go and watch it. It's uh, the big kids' movie at the moment. Uh, it is a great tragedy, isn't it? One of the great tragedies in life that kids today won't experience creating mixtapes. I don't know if you had that experience, and, and you know, getting, getting, you're getting getting the little pencil and sticking it in and twisting it around, and getting get, when the tape deck got chewed up. Well, you know, as I said, a bit of a trivial example, but. Uh, here in Judges, <laughs> Judges, the passage we're looking at today, uh, it's, a, it's a passage about generational change. It's a passage about uh, generational change, something that was so significant to one generation uh, just being forgotten by the next. But, of course, uh, you probably have picked up that it's a far more serious generational change even than Disney movies or music players. You know, Even than that, it is... Well, this this is a real tragedy, this change that we read of in Judges. Uh, it is an eternal tragedy with terrible consequences. We're going to, today, uh, just sit in this passage and think about w- what was going on with this change, with this new generation that came up uh, at the start of this book of Judges. But before we get there, it's important for us to uh, just talk a little bit about the Bible's big story so we can... As we start our journey through Judges over the next five weeks so that we can locate ourselves, we can, we can see where we're at in the Bible's big picture. We need to know that. You can see up here, this is a, a, a timeline and really it shows the, the, the main thrust of the Bible's story. It's all about Jesus. And just a bit of a, just a brief overview um, if I can get this clicker working. Uh, obviously, the Bible story starts with creation, God creating everything out of nothing, uh, but humanity rebels, turns away from God, uh, and instead of worshipping God, worships the created things, worships themselves. They, they reject God uh, and face uh, his punishment, his, his anger at that, but uh, that's not the end of the story. Uh, this is the wonderful news of the Gospel, of the, of the Bible's story, Uh, If I can (laughs) click this on, Uh, that's not the end of the story because, of course, we know uh, in the Bible's story, God chooses one man, He chooses Abraham. Uh, He chooses Abraham and gives him incredible promises that through Abraham's family he would fix up the problem of the fall, the great tragedy of the fall, this turning away from God. Uh, God gives these amazing promises to Abraham uh, you know, you may be familiar with, um, uh, many of us will be familiar with the Bible story how the people of God, Abraham's family, go into uh, Egypt. Um, and then there's the great story of God saving them out of Egypt called the Exodus. Uh, they enter into the promised land, this land that God had promised them where they could grow as a people uh, and eventually bring God's blessing to the whole world, undo the curse of the fall. They enter into this promised land. Uh, there's a period in the Bible in the Old Testament uh, that talks about the kingdom of Israel, this long period uh, of um, this uh, desire of God's people and of or God himself to set up his kingdom on earth. Um, that, of course, uh, goes wrong, though. There are, uh, the, the kingdom itself, not long after it gets established, is divided. Uh, the people of Israel themselves, because they consistently reject God, they turn away from him, they end up going into... Exile, they get uh, exiled out of their land and into under foreign rulers. Uh, And that's when we come uh, to Jesus. Jesus comes as the one who was all pointing towards the the great king of God's kingdom. Uh, The one uh, who did what Israel failed to do. Uh, The one who came and was perfectly God's person in God's world and to bring God's blessing to the earth. Uh, And friends, this is where we sit now. Uh, as the church. Uh, oh, you would have guessed that. Actually, I'm going to go... Oh, can we flick through? Just flick through to the church. Can you do that, Tom? Sorry, my this clicker means you know, longer-range clicker. Uh, we are in this time of the church. We are those who are in Christ, who are, have their faith in him as the fulfilment of all God's purposes. Okay, I wanted to go back to this because this took me a little while and I wanted to, you to ooh and R ah about it. <laughs> next, next one. Hey! <laughs> here we go. So this, what we're getting to is uh, the, where, where we're sitting here with the period of the judges. They've come out of, uh, the, of Egypt. They've been brought out by God's great and mighty hands out of the slave, their slavery to Pharaoh. They've entered into the Promised Land, uh, but we're not yet in this period of the kingdom of Israel, the kings being set up. Uh, this is the period of the judges, where God, uh, God, as we'll read, as we'll get into, God's people uh, uh, go through this cycle, but God raises up judges, leaders for them before he gives their king. So that's just to sort of locate us where in this time uh, God's commanded the Israelites, uh, as they've gone into the Promised Land, he's commanded them to drive out the people of Canaan, uh, both as a punishment for their own uh, sin and wickedness, but And also so Israel could set up their this nation, this family, this kingdom, under God's law, uh, set it up without false gods of the nations around them, leading them away from the one true God. Uh, and there's all the stories about Joshua and the amazing victories God's people had. Uh, Judges we read right at the start, and if you read it in home group this week, uh, you'll notice that right at the start of Judges we open with a bit of a Uh, a a bit of attention. Uh, The great leader of God's people up up to this point, well, the great leaders were Moses, and then when he died, Joshua brought them into the land. But we start the book of Judges with the death of Joshua. There's a problem. Uh, You see, the problem is the job's not done yet. They're in the land, but uh, the nations around them are still in the land also. And Judges starts with this great uh, promise of God in chapter 1, Start at verse one. If you've got your Bible open, that'll help you. Right at the start, after the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, "Who of us is to go up first to fight against the Canaanites?" The Lord answered, "Judah shall go up. I have given the land into their hands." God promises to that he 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 gives them his um, sort of guarantee that he has given the land into their hand, but. Uh, if, if you're in home group this week, you would have read this story of how uh, all through chapter 1 we see the Israelites' failure to do this. They, they didn't drive out the nations, even though they had this assurance from God that he would drive them out before them, but Israel failed to do that. Chapter 1 sort of tells the military story of that. It's a bit of a military history kind of chapter. And then in the chapter we're looking at today, chapter 2, it, it turns to a deeper spiritual issue not so much talking about the sort of military campaigns it's turning to talk about the deeper spiritual issue why was it that Israel didn't drive out the nations from the land Uh, there and in chapter one we had a number of military reasons if you read through in verse 19 you read they didn't drive them out because their enemies had iron chariots or verse 27 They were determined to stay. But as we move into this passage today, it shows that there's actually something much deeper going on. It's not simply military reasons why they couldn't do it. There was a deeper problem. God had promised, we saw that. He'd promised he would give the land into their hands. So the real reason they couldn't do it wasn't because the people were too strong for them. God would have gone before and he would have given them victory there were much deeper and actually far more tragic reasons. Just a bit of a side note at this point before we get into um, more of the passage uh, that we're looking at today. Uh, There are significant issues raised in Judges and maybe uh, this is an issue, uh, something that you have questions about, would like to talk about, particularly the issue of violence in the Old Testament and conquest and uh, the wars that you read about through the beginning of the Old Testament. The whole question of how that relates to the character of God and who he is. Uh, I, I raise that issue just to say we're not actually going to look in detail at it today, uh, but if you look on your handout, uh, we are planning an Issues in Judges session uh, in a few weeks' time. We'll, we're taking a number of these more kind of thorny issues and looking at them in more detail. Uh, so if you can make it along to that, if you have sort of questions about that, we'll be talking more you know, fully about those issues at that. Details will come but uh, I think we've said the 13th of September. Um, so if you've got that free, and if everyone says it's not free for me, then we'll change the date, but uh, we'll, we'll pencil that in, 13th of September, to look more at those thorny issues. But let's get back to the text here. Uh, chapter 2. So we've sort of located ourselves in the big story of the, old, of the Bible. Uh, and here we are in chapter 2, verse 6, and we, we saw how influential joshua was right he he had a huge influence uh, we read it in verse 6 there after joshua had dismissed the israelites they went to take possession of the land each to their own inheritance the people served the lord throughout the lifetime of joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the lord had done for israel joshua son of Nun, the servant of the lord died at an age of 110 and they buried him you see this huge influence here, not only in the, while he was around, but the whole generation after him of uh, elders, leaders of God's people, um, the people of God, it says, they, they served the Lord throughout that whole time. But then you get to verse 10 and there's this sort of ominous turning point in the whole story. Verse 10, after that, whole generation had been gathered to, to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor the Lord nor what he'd done for Israel. They didn't know the Lord. Now this is uh, um, important to sort of think a little bit about what is going on here with this whole idea of not knowing the Lord. What was it that they didn't know? Um, On one level, um, one option is to say um, all the stories about God had just been forgotten. They didn't actually know the facts, the details of the stories. But it doesn't actually match up with what you read throughout the rest of Judges. It's obvious as you read through Judges that these people did actually, they did know intellectually about Yahweh and what he had done. Uh, In chapter 6, we'll read in a couple of weeks the story of Gideon. And Gideon says, he talks about um, the Lord's wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? So it, and there are other sort of times through the book where it's obvious that these people did, they, they, they knew it up here. Uh, but what this is getting at uh, is not so much this intellectual sort of knowledge. Uh, it is a deeper, all-encompassing, more personal knowing and knowledge It's not just about knowing facts. It's kind of like saying my kids will never know about (laughs) mixtapes. They'll never, they'll never. You know, I could give them all the stories. I could show them all the pictures and the examples. They could know all the facts, but they'll never know the joy of sitting there and hitting the record button at just the right time, or whatever it is. You know, unless they experience it firsthand. For them, this is this different kind of knowing. It's not just knowing the facts about who God is and what he'd done. It was a more personal, intimate, all-encompassing knowledge. It's the same in Judges. To know God like this is not just to know stuff about him, but to know him as a person. To know him. It's not just to know about him. It's to anchor your life in him. To anchor your life in him. To let what he's done shape every part of you to let it grip your heart (laughs) that's what it means to know god in this way but this generation while they had the old stories they they kind of knew about what had happened they didn't know god and the great things he had done in this more deeper all-encompassing way they didn't let his salvation be the defining reality of their life the, the the bedrock of their life And what is, I think, probably a little bit uh, shocking and um, confronting for us to think through is the fact that uh, we're not talking here in Judges about an outright rejection of Yahweh, of Israel's God, Yahweh. We're not talking about they didn't sort of turn their back on him and run after the gods of the nations in a really blatant, extreme kind of a way. You, You find out right at the end of the book of Judges, things are horrible, everything's gone wrong, Uh, But you still find out, we read in the very last chapter, chapter 21, um, that uh, the Israelites are holding an annual festival to Yahweh. So uh, there's this story about this festival to Yahweh. So uh, it's not as if they've sort of turned their back on Yahweh and rejected him and gone after the idols. There's something more subtle and really uh, much uh, more... Confronting, I think, this new generation. They still paid lip service to Yahweh, uh, to the true God. They even held festivals in his honour. But, you see, they wanted to have their bet both ways. A little bit of Yahweh, a little bit of the gods of the nations around them. Uh, This made a lot of sense, if you think about it, for them. Uh, Back to this sort of, between the Exodus and going into the Promised Land, they had 40 years, a whole generation of being nomad, nomads, okay, they, they, they didn't, they weren't farmers, they didn't till the soil, they had to, they relied entirely on God provi- providing food for them. And so it made sense on one level, you can understand them going into this new land, settling down and asking the question, how do we make this land work for us? And then you've got your neighbour over there who says, well, uh, you just worship and sacrifice to the fertility gods, Baal and Asherah and You can kind of see how that makes sense for these people to want to follow Yahweh plus the gods of the nations around them. But to have Yahweh plus, and what this passage is telling us, to have Yahweh plus is not to have Yahweh at all, actually. Uh, The very first commandment he'd given his people, you shall have no other gods but me. This is what the Lord says. Thou all shalt not place thy bet both ways. <laughs> okay, well, this is uh, uh, this new generation that arose that sort of uh, took on the gods of the culture around them. You see the next, um, as we go through, uh, from verse 11 through to verse 19, this is a really important introduction to the rest of the whole book. Um, and it's key to helping us understand. So hopefully this will sort of uh, point us in the right direction. Uh, I'll just move through it quickly, and and if you want to sort of just jot notes down if you like, or you can read through it in more detail. But essentially, this is what happens, and it happens over and over again throughout the whole story of Judges. Israel forsakes Yahweh and worships the gods of the people around them. Uh, Can we go to the next one? If you want to flick through, Tom, this isn't working. Um, Yahweh hands Israel over to their enemies... The Israelites, we're told, are in great distress. So Israel forsakes God. God hands them over to their enemies. They're in great distress. And the next one, Yahweh raises up a judge who brings deliverance and peace. He frees them from their slavery. And then it goes back to the start. And after this judge has come and freed them, then they forsake God again. So it kind of sounds a bit familiar, doesn't it? Uh, they forsake God. God hands them over to their enemies. The Israelites, he, there's this repeated thing. They're in great distress. They call out to the Lord. Uh, and then Yahweh graciously brings the judge and deliverer, someone to save them. And then, well, the cycle goes on again and again. Now, I said it's a, a cycle. It sort of goes round and around. But it's actually um, more like a spiral. I can... Uh, leave that up if you like, but actually, I'll go to the next one and we can put that back up. So, if we go to the next, just click on, there we go. It's actually, well, do you see how this works? It, it's not just a cycle that goes round and round and round, it's actually in Judges a uh, vicious spiral downwards, and you saw that, see that in verse 19. Uh, the people return to ways even more corrupt than those, ans- those of their ancestors. Following the gods and serving and worshipping them. Uh, you, you see what's going on. It's not just a, a kind of going around and around in circles. They're actually going down and down and down as they reject Yahweh. Deeper into chaos and rebellion. Well, then we get Yahweh speaking in verse 22. Uh, and he exposes what's going on here. Um, he made a covenant. We read, we read, uh, he made a covenant uh, with uh, God's people, this formal promise. He'd, he'd given himself to Israel. He'd bound them to himself to them. He was their God and they were his people. Uh, but they broke this relationship, this covenant relationship with him. And in his right anger with them, he says he will no longer drive out the nations. Uh, they'll be left in the land to test them to test whether they'll follow Yahweh or not. And then right uh, sort of at the end of this section, right down in verse 6 of chapter 3, we get these chilling and brief verses, verse 5 and 6. They, count, they tell the outcome of this test for Yahweh and uh, this test of his people. The Israelites lived among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites, all the names of the different nations that they were living ar- around. They lived among them. They took their daughters in marriage and gave their own daughters to their sons. And the sort of uh, the tragic conclusion at, right at the end, and served their gods. They served their gods. Friends, this is, uh, I find, a very sobering thing, is it not? That this generation that had seen... Uh, just a few generations before had, had known God to act in such a powerful and mighty way, uh, but just a few generations later had uh, had so quickly turned from him. I find it sobering, and it's not just because of some sort of nostalgia for the past, you know. It's not just some, some yearning for old traditions. Uh, idolatry in Judges... Idolatry is pictured as an unimaginable tragedy. We've called this this series God in the Chaos. Uh, God in the Chaos. And Judges is a book that is filled. It's filled with chaos and evil. Uh, It is this idolatry in this book that is at the root of it all. That is at the root of it all. All this chaos. Uh, So it's not just... You know, it, this this generational change isn't just some sort of uh, tragedy, some yearning for the past. It's not something that would have had Joshua turn, turning over in his grave and muttering, you know, about the kids these days. You know, it's something far worse than that, far deeper and more tragic than that. This idolatry, this turning away from Yahweh, from the one true God, the God who made everything and the God who had done everything incredible things for his people. This idolatry is so tragic. It's tragic in Judges and it's tragic for us today because it goes right to the hearts of our deep need and our great problem, our deepest need and our greatest problem. I'm just going to put a quote up on the screen. Uh, this is a quote uh, by an American, he's, sort of, he's an academic, he's a novelist, you may not have heard of him, doesn't matter, but uh, he's not a Christian guy himself, but he gave this speech, which has um, sort of uh, done the rounds and become a little bit famous. It, uh, he, he recognised this truth. He's not a Christian guy, as I said, but he recognised this reality. He says, uh, there is no such thing as not worshipping, Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what we worship. In other words, we, friends, we all worship. Uh, we all have driving forces that are deep in our hearts, that are our centre. Uh, things, Those things or people or dreams that we put our trust in, we place our hopes in, we put our confidence in. The things that we get our significance from, the things in our life that we know that we are significant because they're there. Wallace, this guy, he recognised a deep and serious problem with this this tendency, though, to worship. He goes on, if you want to flick to the next screen, uh, with this quote, he says, if you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Worship your body and beauty, and you will always feel ugly. Worship power, you will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to numb you in your own fear. Worship your intellects being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. <laughs> See what he's saying here it's so sort of incisive, isn't it? this uh, analysis of our our hearts, our human we, we all worship something. The problem is what we worship just tends to eat us up uh, when we worship things that weren't made to be worshipped. Our heart has to worship something, something we're looking for to satisfy our deepest needs, our longings and desires. And our tragedy is we keep looking, we keep looking for things and people to meet those longings, Uh, They become our gods. We keep looking and longing for the things and people in our lives, and they become. The problem is, friends, as Wallace points out, they don't make very good gods. (laughs) They don't make very good gods. The gods of uh, the people of Canaan that these guys uh, sort of worshipped. They, we know that they were vicious and cruel. Uh, They were. They could never be satisfied. (laughs) You never knew where you stood with them. Well, I mean, it's the same with the idols of Victor Harbour, right? Of, the t- of 21st century Australia. It's exactly the same. They're just, I mean, they're not as obvious, obviously. You know, they're, they're not a football. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they're just as cruel. Um, they will swallow us up just as much. They won't give us what we long for. Created things cannot bear the weight of our worship. They cannot and you'll either crush them or be crushed by them by putting all your significance and hopes and dreams on these people or these things around you. Uh, uh, there's a great um, book I just want to flag uh, just briefly. It's by a guy called Tim Keller called Counterfeit Gods. Uh, if you're visiting among, uh, here today, if you're visiting, you're just checking Jesus out. Um, we'd love to offer you just uh, take one of those books. There's a, a stack of them out there. Uh, it's, it's a great sort of introduction to this whole question of uh, idolatry and how um, how uh, significant it is in our lives. It's not just something that was sort of back then. How relevant it is. So please just uh, take a copy of that. If you're visiting, we'd love to just give that to you. Um, but he points out that you kind of you can tell what your idols are. There's a few ways you can spot your idols. You know what things take up. What is it that you take up your imagination when you don't have anything else to think about? You know when you're kicking back, and what is it that sort of consumes you? you know, that that just ob- that comes to you in those quiet moments. And what he what you spend your money on? Our money will flow to what we love. What our, what has captured our hearts. What drives you? What drives you when you ha- you know that you have those uncontrollable emotions that just surprise you all of a sudden? He says, that's sort of an indication of some something going on in your heart, maybe some idol that's grabbed you, uh, some thing or person that you are placing all your significance and longings and desires in. Not that you know that it's not a science, okay? But it just helpful I find for myself helpful kind of indicators on. You know, what, what, are, what are some of the things that have grabbed my heart and the idols that sit in here uh, that take my focus away from the true and living God? Well, friends, uh, what is a way forward? Uh, just briefly to finish up, how can, we, how can we think about ourselves? We've looked at the people of Israel, how they uh, so quickly turned away to idols. Well, uh, the, friends, a way forward I want to suggest is not simply to try Harder, you know. It's not simply to uh, sort of buckle up your bootstraps and get on with it. And no, I think if we do that, it'll just it'll, it'll just um, make us despair because our idols are too strong. The problem in our hearts is too deep to just fix it through our own willpower. Okay, it's too much. We might be able to get rid of maybe one idol. You know, we might identify something and get rid of it, but there are uh, you know a zillion. Different idols that will jump in and take its place. Yeah? <laughs> other things that we'll we will turn to other than other than God. Friends, I want to suggest the way out of our idolatry, this tragic tendency that we have, just like the people of Israel, this tragic tendency to to worship created things rather than the Creator, is not simply to try harder. We need, friends, to have our hearts captivated by something. Actually, not something, someone far better than our idols, far more wonderful, the one who we were always made to worship. I just want to plug another little sort of booklet. Um, uh, Thomas Chalmers was a 19th century Scottish pastor and he preached this well known ser- sermon. It's got a bit of a sort of wordy title, but go with it. Okay, it's called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. I've printed off a bunch of copies of it, so if you game and you can sort of wade through the old ye olde language, (laughs) uh, it's well worth having a look through. There's a bunch of copies you can just take. But it's called... uh, What Chalmers is getting at uh, is that the only way uh, to... Dispossess the expulsive power of a new. He says the only way to dispossess a heart of an old affection, so affection meaning what you set your heart on, what you're longing for, what you set your hopes on, is the only way to get rid of an old one is by the expulsive power of a new one, a new affection. See, it's not simply enough to see our idols in the way that they constantly will fail us, they will fail us. We'll they will never satisfy. Uh, they lead us into chaos. They led the people of Israel into chaos. Uh, it's not simply enough to, uh, to see that, though, and sort of try and kick them out. Our misplaced affections, our, our, wrongly, you know, our, our wrongly directed desires, they need to be kicked out. <laughs> and they need to be expelled, not just by our own willpower, but by the far greater, more wonderful Affection of the Gospel, of our Lord Jesus. We need to have our hearts captivated by him. Well, friends, um, God didn't leave his people in their idolatry, you see. He could have, and he could have done that justly. But we saw it before, up, you know, the, the storyline of the Bible. It's all about, it's all pointing to Jesus. Uh, how he came as the one true worshipper, the one true worshipper, the one who did what we can't do, who always set his affections on his father, not on the idols around him. See, our idolatry, uh, it it deserves death, friends, Uh, when you cut yourself off from God, from the source of life and light. You cut yourself off from life and light and all you've got left is death. But the wonder of the gospel is that when we deserved death, Jesus, the perfect worshipper, died for idolaters like you and me. He died for idolaters like you and me to forgive us and free us. He rose again. He's the greatest name. And it's through seeing him, knowing him, not just like knowing facts about him, but knowing him. Not just about him, but knowing him personally. Letting this great salvation that he has won for you, letting it sink into your heart, sink deep and warm your hearts. Friends, if we, if we do that, there'll be no room for our idols. <laughs> there'll be no room for our idols. Uh, they'll be exposed for what they are. They're, they're, counterfeit, they're counterfeit gods. The idols of Canaan seem so real for the people around them. They were right they were right in front of them. Everyone else was worshipping them. Uh, But they weren't really real. They were false. They were just footballs with hats on. (laughs) And it's the same for us, friend. It's the same for our idols. Everyone follows them. They seem real, but they're just footballs with hats on. (laughs) they, They can't bear the weight of our worship. Everyone follows them, but they are false. There's only one person who will satisfy. I I know it's uh, gone a little longer than usual. I just want to finish with uh, John chapter 4. Jesus, uh, you might know this scene, Jesus talks to a woman at the well. This woman is an outcast. She's she's tried to have her longings met by a string of men. Uh, she's, She's gone through this string of relationships. And Jesus says these words to her, Looking at the well with the water, he says, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Friends, that's what it means to know God in the face of Jesus Christ. To know him to have our hearts captivated by him. Friends, I'd just invite us to do that again, perhaps today, to to see Jesus for who he is. It may be helpful to think about your own idols. Uh, Keller's book would be a great place to start helping you think through that. Uh, But not just to sort of expose them, but to have them expelled by the expulsive power of the new affection, the reality of who Jesus is. The gospel. The wonderful news that in Him we have someone who will give us water that will satisfy, will finally satisfy your heart where nothing else can. So, friends, let's open our mouths and drink it. I pray for us. Our Father, we do confess today that our hearts are so often turned to the things around us, to the people in our lives. To the, to the things we own, to our achievements, maybe it's our work, maybe it's uh, our relationships, our family, our... Oh, Lord, uh, we are just so good at inventing idols <laughs> and uh, putting things in your place. Please keep us from this, Lord. Forgive us, we pray, for the sake of your Son who died for us. Lord, fill us, fill our hearts with this new affection... Uh, May we know that all our desires are met and met in abundance uh, in knowing you through our Lord Jesus. Uh, Please work that in us by your Spirit, that deep personal knowledge, and cause it to uh, make us a community of people who are wonderfully free from all the idols that captivate everyone else. Uh,
0: Help us to be that sort of community, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.